Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple-minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia, of insight, and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the tragedy of cinema's Twilight Zone. The home of Mr. Gregory West, one of America's most noted playwrights. The office of Mr. Gregory West. Mr. Gregory West. Shy, quiet, and at the moment, very happy. Merry, warm, affectionate. You really should be working, you know. You're nagging me. I'm only thinking of posterity. Think of me instead. Don't I always? Yes, you do. Dry enough? We'll let the master decide. Perfect, as always. Are you describing yourself, Mr. West? Let the mistress decide. She's decided. final ingredient, Mrs. Gregory West. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast, the Twilight Zone series. This is it. This is the final episode of season one. We have made it episode 36. I'm your host, Jimbo, and uh, alongside me is the co-host, the host with the most, the co-host, ADZ. The, yeah, the ADZ. The ADZ. Still in the studio. Three uh, in a row, man. Stuck this in the be... stuck in the fifth dimension. Yeah, we're stuck here for a long time. Yeah. That's good though. We we've got a lot of catching up to do. Right. So, Eric, we've made it to the final episode and it's a pretty good one to end on. Yeah, it's, um, it's I enjoyed this good. episode. So yeah. uh, it's a world of his own. So Eric, let's just go ahead and jump in there and get this one over. All right, launch right in, a world of his own. Uh, This is the Twilight Series Season 1, the final episode, episode number 36. And it was directed by Ralph Nelson, and it was written by Richard Matheson. Uh, The original air date for this particular episode is July 1st, 1960. 
And the total production costs are way down for this episode. It was only $33,438.07. And once again, as we adjust that for inflation, we're looking at $308,401.80 with a 822% um, adjusted for inflation percentage. And I'll just throw out the uh, tech specs again. Uh, this is black and white. It's 25-minute runtime, and all the all the, the particular aspects of the tech specs are the same uh, for this episode as well. Um, Jimbo, I'll let you take the cast, which is a pretty shortened cast for this episode. Pretty short cast. Some people say there's only three cast members, as Eric stated, off the uh, affair. But I had to remind him, oh, no, there is a fourth member, which we will get to. So, Keenan Wynn starred as the main actor, Gregory West. He does an f- outstanding job in this episode. Um, you might remember him from Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, probably the longest movie name in history. Yeah. He's got um, the, It's in the top 100 movies of all time, so yeah, we has, are going to cover uh, it at some point. Sorry. I mean to walk on you there, Jimbo. Well, but, uh, he has 282 credits to right. his name. He's, he's yeah, a long, illustrious acting career. Yeah, and he played uh, Colonel um, Bat Guine, Guano in that movie. Uh, you had Phyllis Kirk as Victoria West, which Eric really likes her yeah, performance in this one. And then you have Mary LaRoche as Mary. Mary LaRoche. Um, she was famous for the movie Bye Bye Birdie, where she played Doris McAfee. Did you ever see that no, one? No, I saw. Really? I haven't seen that movie. I know it's a pretty famous right movie, musical. Probably yep. top 100 musical. And then you have, and she was also in Gidget, where she played Mrs. Dorothy Lawrence. And yes, there is a um, fourth member of this cast, which is Modoc the Elephant. Yeah. <laughs> He's uncredited, but yes, Modoc. The elephant was in there. And then if, if we wanted to get technical, there is a fifth person in this episode, um, which we will wait till the end uh, to reveal that. Yeah. So I'm not going to say who that is. Yeah, so. there's some trivia that goes along with that as well. Right. Uh, so. Let me just uh, knock out the plot here. Um, peeking into the window of her husband Gregory's study, <laughs> Victoria West sees him with a beautiful woman. Uh-oh. When she finally gets into the room, however, the woman is nowhere to be found. His explanation is preposterous. He claims that when he speaks into his dictaphone machine, the characters for his play come to life before his eyes. Victoria's first reaction is that her husband should be committed, and a demonstration still doesn't quite convince her. Gregory has something else to show her. Ooh, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, you a cliffhanger there with a the little plot. So, do we want to go ahead and jump right into it? Jump the, right on in. The episode opens, I think one of the first scenes is actually Victoria looking in the window, possibly. Uh, well, obviously we have um, Rod's um, narration, and he kind of sets the stage, and um, he describes Gregory as a, um, a great playwright, and he's very shy and quiet. Uh, and, you know, he's describing Mary, who's very shy, quiet, and very affectionate. And um, the camera pans to Mary, who is making um, him a drink. He's making Mr. Gregory West a drink. And she seems like a very nice lady, and you don't really know what she is at this point. It just seems like a you know a husband and wife enjoying an afternoon together in the guy's office. And then very soon we discover that um, well, what we think is Mary is like a mistress, and you know, after they exchange these pleasantries, then 
the the camera pans over to the window and we see Victoria appearing in the window and she is just absolutely beside did, herself. Did you disgusting. notice the uh different colors that are used? No. Uh Mary's in white and the uh, ladies in black. dark clothing, black yeah. clothing. So I thought that was very interesting too. Because you could tell by their um, characteristics, Mary's very warm, loving, mm-hmm. and all that. Victoria's very mean, <laughs> cruel. Right. So I thought that was pretty interesting play on outfits, too. Right, and he even says that he made, uh, Gregory made her, made Victoria very assertive and not very compassionate. And that's one of the things he's seeking from Mary. He talks about that later in the episode. Right. So Victoria's banging on the outside office door, like, let me in. Like, what's going on in there? You know, and I can't remember exactly what darling, she said. I want to be a moment. I want to come in and kiss you. You know. And you can tell she knows there's she's somebody really, in there. Yeah, she's really wanting to, to, the gotcha moment where she, she finds him with this mistress of sorts. And so he opens the door. Gregory opens the door, and there's Victoria looks around the room, and there's no one in the room. And she's confused, befuddled. <laughs> where, where's, where, where's she at? I've seen her in the window. Yeah. And, you know, Gregory sort of plays along. That's the, the characteristic about him the most. You know, being that creator, he plays with people. And he plays with their emotions. Mm-hmm. And you, you can really tell. Because bef- before, you know, he's holding the scissors in his hand when he goes and answers the door. But but later on, you know, we come to find out that he through the dictaphone he has this magnetic tape that runs these old style dictaphones, and um, he clips off a piece of that tape to erase. Basically, he creates and he uncreates, and he's uncreating these characters by throwing their tape into the fire. Right. And so that all is explained here in these initial scenes. And he tries to explain it to Victoria. Of course, she doesn't believe it. She like, thinks he's crazy. Yeah, that he can bring someone to life. It's funny, too. This is why I like her so much. She's going around banging on the walls, trying to find her and looking behind curtains. And, you know, she just can't figure out what's going on. And when he tells her, when he discloses all of this about the dictaphone and how he creates things out of his imagination and how they come to life, she wants to have him committed, right? She wants to have him... <laughs> I'm calling the psychiatrist or whatever she says. And um, Jimbo, do you want to? Uh, is there anything that sticks out in these first opening few scenes? Uh, no, just she's very curious and and she knows what she saw and she just she still thinks there's she's hidden here somewhere. There's got to be a secret compartment, a trap door, something. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, now look. He's like, why would I do that? And where where would I put her? You know, or there she was here. And he's like. I'm telling you, you know, it's all here in this dictaphone. And she still doesn't know under his desk. She's she's just very, um, what's the word I'm Suspicious. looking for? Yeah. She actually saw her. We all seen her. We all seen her saw her. <laughs> you know, right. we, we all saw her. Uh, so, but she's gone. And we don't know what happened to her at this point of the movie or at the point of the episode yet. Yeah. And she thinks that he's, she's like, well, maybe I was suffering from hallucinations because I could have sworn that there was someone when I was looking through the window, I know that there was someone. And uh, she describes her as having, you know, masses of blonde hair and a frumpy shirt and, you know, skirt. She describes her. And then... And saying that, you know, this married character handed him a drink. And, you know, that's when he 
he finally discloses to her and uh, he, he says it's really simple I can explain and that's what we talked about earlier he explains the whole dictaphone situation and then we'll fast forward a little bit ahead into the we got a little so, siren going by right yeah, now too so if you hear that <laughs> maybe we can edit that out ah, no, I'll leave it in there builds character <laughs> Um, he says, I can describe any character I want. <laughs> She's like, you you need to be put away. You're crazy. Right. And she goes to run out the door <laughs> to get away from him. And is this the part where he goes into his dictaphone? I oh, wait, think... he, does he bring Mary back here or is this the elephant scene? Um, where he describes the elephant? No, I think uh, he, he, he locks her in there, remember? That's and right, then he... he does, yeah. He has the key in his, his yeah. pocket. And he starts talking in there about, I think, yeah, because he, we're bringing he, Mary yeah, back, right? he brings right? Mary back. And it really, it hurts her, too, like, because every time she gets, you know, thrown in the fire, you know, is another time that she's brought to life and then has to be taken away. And you can now, really let me ask t- you, tell that that really wears let me ask, on her. Let me ask you a question. If he dictates something in the phone, cuts the tape, throws it in the fire, creates her again, why does she have the same memories? Hmm. That's a good question. Because you sit there and watch him say what he's saying in the dictaphone. All right. But she later in the episode, she's like, I can't do this anymore. You can't right. keep bringing me back. So right. she has feelings still tied to her character, which she shouldn't have. Right. And this is funny, too, when he's like, she's coming up to the front door. She's opening the front door. She's closing the front door. She's mm. coming to the study. And she opens the study, and she peers around the corner, and her and Victoria right. see each other. They, <laughs> yeah, they share a look. Yeah, that's when she kind of is like, okay, um, that look of... Like, what, right. What's going on? And then we go to commercial after after the meeting of the two women. And then they... She, you know, Victoria says, I think this is some sort of fiendish plot and making up some ridiculous story to... About to bringing a, characters to yeah, life. to kind of get away out of the marriage... Uh, way to get rid of me. I think she thinks she went through a window and then came to the front door or whatever. So, right. And he's like, "You want to have me committed?" And she's like, "Why not?" So he locks the door again. Yeah, because I think at some point she stole the key, but then she runs. No, not yet. Not yet. No, I think she. Yeah, she was going to go out the front door when she opened it when the uh, other one came in. Right. But I think she steals the keys when he starts going. Uh, she's like, I'm leaving. I'm going to have you committed because he says, "Here, get rid of. Get, let's. I'm going to get rid of her." And she's like, "Please, don't bring me back again." Yeah. She's like, "I can't do it anymore." And he's like, "Mary, you know." Um, so, is this what you want me to do? So, he ends up throwing that Mary's tape into the fire, mm-hmm. and it does a little, you know, right. And she disappears. And then Victoria's like, "Where'd she go? Where is she?" And she's like, uh, "If I do this," he said, "Will you please stay?" I want you to stay. And she's like, yeah, I promise I'll stay. And um, he's like, you know, she's my wife. You you know, you're just uh, basically a hallucination or whatever. So she disappears. And um, he's like, I told you you would stay. She's like, oh, dear. And she starts playing nice with him, if you will. Um, and gives him a hug and kiss. And she reaches down into yeah. his pocket, steals the key. And uh, he's like, well, you will stay with me, right? She's like, yeah. And she's like... Um, I didn't want to, you know, create or to insult you. You're my wife, pretty much. Um, so he goes, and he's depressed. You can tell I just destroyed another creation, and she didn't want me to create her. Uh, create her. And she's like, um, 
He's like, you understand now? Oh, yeah, I understand you need to be committed, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is where she sort of makes a break for it, right? Yeah, she's running over to the door, and uh, she's going, I'm right out here, and going to the door. This is where he... (laughs) He talks about a giant red-eyed elephant in the hallway blocking her thing. And she opens the door, and there's Modoc in all his glory. Yeah. (laughs) That was a great scene. And she is petrified. Exactly. She's scared to death. And she's like, okay, well, let me rethink my strategy here. (laughs) Like, will you get this elephant out of the hall so that I can leave? And then is this the... Is this the scene where he goes over, or not yet? He goes over eventually. I'm going to skip forward a few uh, dialogue scenes where he goes over to the safe and he pulls out an envelope and it has Victoria's <laughs> well, the, name. I like how the safe is actually embedded into the bookcase. Right. So his wife would have never looked to go into the bookcase. So right. he opens up the bookcase and there's this old safe in there and he opens it up. And there's an envelope and it says Victoria West. And she says, What's this supposed to mean? And so he takes it out, and it's the tape of obviously of her. So Victoria herself is a, a creation, creation of, the of his own mind, yeah. And so, so I put this back in the safe, or he says, or throw it into the fire. <laughs> she's like, and she's oh. like, you're not seriously trying to, you know, make me believe that I'm not real. And he he sort of describes her. Look at you, you're regal and beautiful, and you could have any man in the world that you wanted. Haven't you wondered, you know, why you basically picked me? He's like, well, I'm telling you, you're impeccable and flawless. Is it, you're just the sort of wife uh, that I always used to think that I wanted. And this is where he kind of discloses to her right. that, you know, that she doesn't really have the compassion that Mary has. That's kind of the difference. And uh, then, you know, he throws, he ends up throwing. No, no he doesn't. She grabs oh, she it from grabs him. It? She okay. grabs it from him. I missed uh, that. Yeah, um, I watched this last late last exactly. night, early this morning. For it, and she, yeah, she, yeah, she grabs it and she throws it for him. And, and she's he, like, oh, he actually tries to go yeah. in and get it, and his hands are, he can't get it. And she's like, I feel strange. And she's like, You were telling the truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she ends up basically the envelopes melting away with the film, and uh, she disappears. And so then he goes back over and he says her name was Victoria. And, he and tries then he to thinks, remake her, right? And well, then he stops. He's like, and he's like, nah, nah. I think I'll make Mary. Ah, this time. Yeah. Like, her name was Mary. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and she's perfect. You know, she's got the uh, fluffy dress or fluffy shirt. Okay, you know, this is where this is a great part. part. Mary she's preparing appears, him a drink. Yeah, and then she's preparing him a drink. And, and then, then Rod, Rod Serling pops Rod up. Rod Serling guest stars at the desk. And this was, by way of trivia, this is the first time that he ever interjected himself into the, any of the episodes. Oh, uh, yeah, and what he says here is really great, too. Uh, he's like, uh, we hope you enjoyed this on the Twilight Zone. Um, he's like, it was, uh, what did he say? Uh, at the same time, you want to realize that it was, of course, purely fictional. And this gets the Wesley's out here. He's like, in real life, such ridiculous Gnostic would never work. And Wes goes, Rod. Right. What's he say? There's interaction. You shouldn't have said Gregory. that. And then and he goes, yeah, <laughs> over to the, goes over to the same. He pulls out another envelope and it says Rod Sterling on it. And Rod just looks at him. He's like, you shouldn't. Yeah. Wes says, you shouldn't say something nonsense and ridiculous. And he throws Rod's envelope into the fire. Yeah. And what's Rod say? This is a classic. Well, well, that's the way it goes. Well, that's the way it goes. <laughs> and he, and disappears. he disappears. <laughs> yeah. That was really cool that. 
I think it might have been maybe the only episode where he actually interacted with the, the character. Cast yeah, that we've come to uh, for yeah, sure. I know that this became more of a staple going forward, where he would do the intro, in the scene, right. doing the intro narration and, and the extra. Yeah, and he also did it in the famous uh, Facts of Life episode. If you ever seen where Rod Sterling was in the Facts of no. Life, oh, eighties. Oh, oh yeah, it's a great, great episode. Look it up; you okay. will love it. I'm a fan of the eighties, of course. Uh, I can't believe I I've never seen that. Say, Tootie. I'm telling you, okay. it's my favorite Facts of Life episode. All right. So let's go ahead and uh, do a little bit of trivia with this. This is, of course, uh, one of the four episodes that begins with the eye instead of the spiral, which I hate. We tried um, to look up who the eye was. Yeah, I was trying to find out who the eye was, but we couldn't find it. No. Um, this set is a modified version of Garrett Williams' living room in the Twilight Zone. A stop at Willoughby. Yeah, I have that down here too. I think that's they, really cool. Yeah, they took out the staircase and uh, some other things. They they rearranged some things, and uh, but yeah, the 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 main part of the living room was used in that episode. And you know what? And 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 something else I didn't know until I was seeing this note was that that's how Rod would do his scripts. He would dictate it into a dictaphone like yeah, that. Yeah, I got that. I thought that down. was uh, really cool. But yeah. it was like when he was lodging beside his pool. You know, so he's out right. there by his pool, you know, doing his episodes. Yeah. I'd like to hear those. I think that would be really interesting if there oh, was yeah. some way to save those. I can only imagine, you know what I mean? How many times oh, yeah. did he have to stop and restart? Because there wasn't hardly any editing, you know. Right. And apparently, like, he used to do uh, all type. He used to use typewriters almost exclusively up until like 1955, and he kept breaking them all the time. Apparently, right? Because I guess he would pound on the keys really hard, and then that that was the reason why he went to the dictaphone because of and then, that reason. And then I I just made the connection that Keenan Wynn is actually the son of Edwin yep. from the episode uh, One for the Ages, and I think he was in another one. I dropped my pen. Um, one for the Ages, and what was the other one? Uh, it's a, it's a ninety ninety years with uh, without slumbering. So um, I thought that was very interesting. Um, his dad was a great actor, too. Yeah, I have that down here, too. Um, like I said earlier in, in the little biopic that I had of him, he had 282 credits. He was a uh, talented scion, and he was in the show business. business. And Keenan's father uh, was a great burlesque and television buffoon, Ed Wynn. And while his maternal grandfather, Frank Keenan, earned a distinction on the other side of the entertainment ladder as a Shakespearean tragedian. I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly. So apparently, as one of his grandfathers was in Shakespeare plays, and I mean, he comes from a long line of... And even his mother, it says here, uh, Hilda Keenan was also a minor actress, and he would star with his father, uh, Edwin, in The Absent-Minded Professor. Have hmm. you ever seen that movie? Yeah. I haven't seen it. And there's like a sequel it? to it. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't. Seen them. I'm have to get on. I, I can't believe you haven't ever seen those. So yeah, he's got quite a lineage and heritage of uh, being in the show business, right? Um, a lot of credits. Um, this episode also marks uh, Serling. We talked about this a little bit first on-screen appearance on the television series, not counting the teasers that appeared at the end of each episode. It may not have been this very episode that convinced Buck Houghton and the sponsors that Serling was right for the on-screen host beginning with the second episode. Um, yeah, and that's something like, you don't usually see it on Netflix and stuff, but like the Voodoo version that I bought digitally mm-hmm. um, at the end of it, yeah, which I, like I showed that. you, that like it actually that. shows Rod given, he's on the set of the next, next episode, preview, yeah. and he'll give you a little spoiler for the next week's preview, which I really like that. 
Right. And the original Matheson script, excuse me, was much darker with the writer's creations coming to life and haunting him. I would have loved to have seen the original, like, you know, but I guess they came to a decision, Rod and the other producers decided that it was a little bit too dark for the Twilight Zone and they wanted to lighten it up a bit, I guess. But yeah, like they were like demonic creations, I guess, that came back to haunt him and, you know, that would have been well, see, cool, this, actually. I this think. is like what we were talking about last episode. This is a way to do comedy in there. Without doing comedy right. for the whole show, you right. know what I mean. Um, especially yeah. the ending with Rod. I mean, that's that's comedy gold right there. Yeah, for sure. And like Phyllis Kirk, I thought she was great. And yeah, and bringing that element to you know her performance, I thought she did a great job. Now, something I thought was pretty interesting is the use of the elephant, right? Um, because yeah, I think no, I read but, about but, that. No, but what I'm saying is that uh, when she opens the door, I think you could say that. They're trying to discuss the elephant in the room. Oh, okay. Um, yes. You know, which is, uh, you're not leaving, and, you know, you're a creation, basically. I, I just think that was a, a symbol, uh, symbolic for the elephant in the room. I thought that was very interesting, because he could have used a tiger, could have used a lion, he could have right. used anything. Sure. But he used an elephant. So I thought that yeah, was pretty symbolic. Too. Right. I found out something interesting about elephants, that they, uh, <laughs> the trainers have to work them back and forth to... Uh, for lack of a better term, to go to the restroom. And then he told, the, apparently the elephant trainer told him, all right, you guys, you got two hours now before it's going to be <laughs> a world-ending <laughs> dump, I guess. So they only had two hours to work with the elephants for, uh, what was his name, Modoc? Yeah, Modoc only had two hours to do his scenes or it would have been trouble. So. Um, anything by way of questions or observations that you found uh, interesting? Or, well, you already just, asked one of the questions about, you know, if he remade... Mary, why, why did all she, her memories come back? That's why I don't understand. I don't understand that one um, because I mean, you see, you obviously see him when he's bringing her back twice in this already. He doesn't say she has all her memories. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that, so, and that kind of goes to my whole, I guess, the the take that I got from it is that you really begin to question Gregory's like integrity, the way he creates and disposes of the people that he creates. Like he's not a good person. Like well, he's not painted in a, a very good light and he has the power to create and he has the power to remove. Well, let me ask you a question you know, on that too. They said that he was a, a famous playwright or play, uh, uh, play, didn't they say playwright or whatever? Mm-hmm. Do you think he created his playwright characters that weren't actually actors, but they were on the dictaphone that actually came in and worked his plays, and that made him the famous playwright that he is. Right. Yeah. That that question, and then here's a dovetail question that goes with that. What if Gregory was the only real thing, and everything around him was his own creation, like right. his house, and you know, what if he was the only quote unquote real thing? So it's it's kind of like they portray. I mean, if you take it to that extent, you could say that like he was a a godlike figure, which I don't like to use that term, but. Yeah, I, I didn't. Yeah, he's sort of maniacal, sort of like he almost has sociopathic like tendencies, like where you know he's got to be in control. Exactly, he's a complete control freak. And yeah, what if that's a good question? What if everything around him too is just like his characters in his plays and all the people that he creates? Maybe his house, maybe he, maybe he doesn't creation. maybe he doesn't even have characters in the play. Maybe he just said, "I am a famous playwright." Yeah, where he never even had to create yeah. the, the player. Well, what if thing? what if the Twilight Zone is actually his creation? <laughs> okay, now you're going way down. Uh, Arctos uh. is going to be all over you for this one. He's like, you went way off yeah. the trail. Well, what, if, what if the Twilight Zone and Rod and everything is just a creation of him? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. But what if he's a creation himself? What he created himself? 
Maybe somebody else created him. Yeah, that, that's always yeah. That's that's always. <laughs> we can go a billion miles. We can go down that whole rabbit hole for a long way. Um, yeah, I just put this in as far as the postscript. No matter the character or lack thereof, if a man has enough power, he can do anything. Mm-hmm. Right, and Gregory is like that godlike figure. Well, that, what's a that lot of, of evil a, can come out of the minds? What's of that famous men quote? With a lot uh, of power. Absolute power corrupts. And, Absolutely. You know, yeah. power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. right. So, well, there you have it. Um, that is the last episode of season one. Eric, we made it. Been a long time coming. Uh, a few yeah. bumps along the way, but uh, hopefully we improved each and every week, each and every time we visit, which I think we did because um, we came from Eric uh, basically in a closet <laughs> with with Still. some earbuds. Well, but I mean, at least it's improved oh, yeah. uh, from yeah, where you first started. Is improved, right. Yeah. So uh, the equipment is improved. Eric was like, oh, I don't mind coming on, you know, every once in a while. And the next thing I know, he's he's texting me at like 2.30 in the morning. Hey, what about this? I found this book. I'm going down the rabbit hole. I bought this new yeah. uh, wireless mic. <laughs> he just went on and on. And I was like, well, yeah, he's he, I got him now. He's hooked. You know what yeah. I mean? So oh, for sure. I enjoy going back through these. It, it always takes me back, like we've talked before. I go, you know, it takes us back to the childhood on these classic TV shows. It may not be for like everybody, but we, you know, we get so much joy and fun out of, you know, talking about it and and looking this stuff up. But you know, different perspectives. Yeah, it takes us. It takes us back to a, a good time. You know, watching the old TV and you only had like four channels, and when the Twilight Zone would come on later, Eric called the antenna yeah. <laughs> or whatever, and yeah, it's been fun. What was the episode? The first episode we did, though, going back to what you mentioned earlier, it took us how many takes? Like, oh, uh, for chance remember. to dream, yeah, that was the episode. It took us, like, least, I think, five oh, episodes. Uh, we spent probably what four hours on that episode that yeah, night. We were trying to get there was the noises out. here, there was yeah. noises there, there was. Like it sounded like Eric was in the outer loop, outer yeah. dimension, um, like he was on the moon. Um, <laughs> but we finally got him hooked up with some nice equipment and everything. Right. So now it's all going smooth. Yeah. So stay tuned because we will be doing a season one wrap up with our tragedy awards uh, coming up here shortly. So uh, it's going to be uh, interesting because there are some that I didn't expect to award this, but. After I looked at the Twilight Zero season one as a whole, these are who I thought deserved these awards that I'm going to give, and we're going to get Eric's thoughts on the his 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 top ten and all that too, and see where uh, we cross and what we agree disagree. Um, should be a good time, but it's not going to be very formal. It's going to be pretty much no notes except your yeah. your list, and we're going to talk about it there. So, okay. well. I uh, hope you enjoyed season one. We'll be working on season two here probably in a couple of weeks. Um, once all the well, by the time this comes out, yeah, we'll bump probably these already out. be already uh, yeah. into season two. So, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking by. And that's a wrap on this episode. And and cut. We hope you enjoyed tonight's romantic story on the Twilight Zone. At the same time, we want you to realize that it was, of course, purely fictional. In real life, such ridiculous nonsense could never... Rod! You shouldn't. I mean, you shouldn't say such things as nonsense and ridiculous. Well, that's the way it goes.